We have a lot of response from the platform and from the congregation. Every time I say, praise the Lord, you say, hallelujah. Can, every time I say, hallelujah, you say, amen. amen. And every time I say, munaderei, you say, sabari yesu. <laughs> hallelujah. Well, we are truly honored to be here and to actually be able to come and say face-to-face, thank you so much for the tablets, because they are have been a blessing, and just being connected with Pastor Mike, he came and taught with our pastors, and I mean, it was... It was a great team, and we're looking forward to more of them. So we're looking forward to more of them. Amen. (laughs) Okay, Judges chapter 2. I'm going to go right into the Word this morning, and we're starting in Judges chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 10 to 12. I want to talk to you today about something that in our uh, time serving on the field now 21 years with our focus being reaching the unreached. This is what I believe. Uh, what I want to talk to you this morning about is something I believe is one of the keys to be able to do that. There are two important things as missionaries to fulfill the Great Commission. One is that we must be missional, and that is sending and being sent. And secondly is being generational, thinking beyond just now and what am I doing today that will pass on. And so that's what I want to talk to you today about, being next generation minded or generational thinking. Judges chapter 2, starting in verse 10, it says, And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam, and they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods, of the gods of the people around them, and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. It says when that generation had been gathered to their fathers, they passed away. It says another generation arose after them. You see, we have to recognize this fact. There will always be another generation. Everybody say, there will always be another generation. I'm going to get this, this, uh, this one going a little more. All right, amen. There will always be another generation. You know, the Bible says in Genesis 8:22, as long as the earth remains, there will be the cold season and the hot season. There will be the sowing and the reaping. That's generations. There will always be another generation. As long as the earth remains, another generation's coming. So we've got to begin to think in those terms. It's not just about me. It's not just about the moment. It's not just about right now. It's about what is happening today will pass on to tomorrow. Generational thinking. We can't be so short-sighted that we only live for today. You know, the, um, the God that we serve is a God of generations. He's called the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. A God of generations. Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's not just about the moment. It's about eternity. Amen. And so we are living with that. We need to live as Christians with that type of thinking. You know, there's like a leadership principle, very powerful, but very common. It says, success without a successor is failure. There is no success without a successor. The word succeed means not only to have success, but to follow after. Because the very word succeed or to have success is that it will continue. It's not just about the moment and it's not just about now. Amen? 
Now here we see Israel. God had done some incredible things. But what a tragedy it was that after Moses and the Joshua generation that had seen the incredible miracles that God had done in Egypt, delivering them out of bondage with signs and wonders and miracles, that the next generation comes and they don't even know what God had done. That's a tragedy. And may that never be our testimony. That after God has done miracles in our life, and everywhere I go, I know that as I'm addressing the people of God, I know that God's done some miracles here. I mean, I believe people have been set free from some stuff here. I believe that God has healed some people here. When you see a a church that's been raised up here, I was hearing a little bit about the history of it. Praise God, there's been some miracles here. What a tragedy it would be that after our day, our children would not even know those great things that God had done. Those those individuals that God had done miraculous things through or had used in mighty ways. You see, we've got we've got to we've got to realize that in our day, we are not going to fail to pass this on to the next generation. We've got to be generational in our thinking. What a tragedy it was. I, I look at my family. God's done some incredible things for us in Niger now, 21 years. God's, God saved us through two or even different attacks that have taken place. We had one day, we had four churches that were burned in one day. But God's turned all those things around to every place that we've been burned. We've always built back bigger and better than it was before they burned us. That's a testimony. Imagine I don't pass that on. We, we hosted a meeting that in four days, 3,800 people came to Christ. I mean, that's a move of God that, that before that had never taken place in these years. Imagine after God's done that, my own children don't even know what God had done. In fact, I'm finding this in Niger even now. Because we're, we're constantly going to new places, preaching. People are getting saved. We're discipling more people every time. And I always ask, how many of you remember the Richard Roberts rally? And every time I say it, fewer and fewer hands raise up. Because it's so easy to forget the great things that have taken place. I mean, it was Ronald Reagan, one of our great presidents, that said, freedom is only a generation away from extinction. We have got to be generational thinking if we don't want to lose this. What a tragedy it was for, for, for Israel. Our God is the God of generations. We've got to recognize how important it is to pass it on. God had actually warned Israel about this very thing. He said to Joshua, as you're crossing into the promised land, I want one from every tribe to grab a stone and carry it so that when you come into the promised land, you're going to use these stones and you're going to build a monument so that in the time to come, when your children ask, what does this mean? You're going to tell them all that God had done. Well, obviously it looks like that even though they built it, They didn't tell the story. You see, it's not enough just to build the building. We've got to tell the story. We've got to pass that on to the next generation. We've got to be generational in our thinking. God is a God of generations. I mean, why did he choose Abraham to be the the patriarch, that one? It says he trusted Abraham because he was one that would train his children after him. You see, what was Abraham's big deal that he's always going to God and talking about? It was, who's going to be my heir? You see, Abraham was so generational thinking, God said, now this is a man I can work with because he's generational thinking. God is generational thinking. You know, God gives us what Jesus later tells us to be the greatest command. It's given in in Deuteronomy chapter 6, I think it is. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. 
And the next, like it, love your neighbors yourself. And then the very next verse after that, in Deuteronomy, it says, And all these things you'll teach your children. You see, passing it on to your children is right there next to the greatest command. Because just to have a success today is not what we're here for. Amen? It's about being generational thinking. As a missionary... I, ha- I go to conferences, missionary conferences, and, uh, or, and watch things on missions. And missionaries, we love these one-liner quotes when you're trying to mobilize people. And I've got, I, over the years, have heard so many great quotes. My favorite quote is from Oswald Smith. The quote is this, Why should anyone hear the gospel twice until everyone has heard it once? Wow. Another one by the, modern, um, the father of modern missions, William Carey, he said this, To know the will of God... You need to open your Bible and open a map. Man, these are great missionary quotes. Amen. Another one that I don't even know who the author of it is um, says, The mark of a great church is not its seating capacity, but its sending capacity. Great quotes. Well, I heard a quote once, and either I was at the conference or I heard it via video or whatever. And the quote is this, Only this generation can reach this generation. And now, when I heard it, I knew exactly its purpose and its intent was to mobilize us to do the job at hand, that we need to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. I got its intent, but yet it didn't sit right with me. Because I know that it's not just about me. And I know that what we do today is going to impact tomorrow. And also what we do today is on the shoulders of those that have gone before us. We can't be so single-minded or so short-sighted that we're only seeing today. We have to recognize that what we're doing today is because of those that have come before us. And what we're doing today needs to continue on. And if we're not generational in our thinking, it'll just die with us. People have asked me, "What uh, are you afraid in Africa? Are you afraid of... of Snakes, you know, everybody thinks Africa snakes. Okay, are you afraid of snakes? I've only seen a few snakes in 21 years. You know, I'm not afraid of snakes. I'm not afraid of the strange foods that you have to eat when you're living in Africa. Brains of some sort and what have you. I'm not afraid of even the terrorism that truly is becoming a bit of a threat. I'm not afraid of those things. If there's anything I would say I'm afraid of because I live in Africa, is that after I've lived and given my life for the gospel in Niger, a desertous, difficult place, that after I've lived there, it would not continue on. The work that I've done would not continue on. That is what I'd be afraid. You see, it's not just about us. We've got to pass this to the next generation. What we do today must be passed on. Generational thinking. You see, when we... And as we begin to think of generational thinking, it's not only looking ahead and what we're passing it to, it's what did we receive it from? I mean, if you think it's only this generation that can reach this generation, then you're not even considering the fact that we're here enjoying lights. You know, and and a nice air-conditioned room, well, it's not air-conditioned right now, I guess it's heated, but we're enjoying things that weren't given to us from this generation. I mean, Thomas Edison wasn't this generation. We came in here carrying our Bibles. It's not this generation that that gave us the Bible in our language. People generations ago spilled their blood. Guys like William Tyndale and John Wycliffe and different ones that made a way that we could carry the Bible today. 
When we were getting ready to come to Niger 21 years ago, a church laid hands on us and was praying to get ready to send us out. And there was a prophetic word given. And it was a quote from, uh, it was basically a paraphrase of, of a verse in the book of John chapter 4. And it says, you will reap where you did not labor. You will reap what you did not sow. You know, when you first hear that, it almost doesn't seem right, you know. But you know what? Praise God that we can reap where we didn't sow. And we can reap what we didn't labor for. We got to Niger and things were taking off. And I would be, you know, I would be a fool to think, wow, look what I did. I mean, in, in one year we raced all this up. But God reminded me. He said, you're reaping what you didn't sow. Do you know we're all to some extent reaping what we didn't sow? Because we have to be generational thinking. We need to be able to look and see, look what those that came before me did. And today I stand on their shoulders. There's a, there's a verse in, in Proverbs that says, um, and we all know the second part of the verse, or maybe it's the first part. It says, the, the, the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. How many have heard that verse? We all know that verse. Well, it's the other side of the verse I think is more important. It says, a good man will leave an inheritance to his children's children. You see, that, that is the generational thinking of our God. He, he says a man, a good man, doesn't just think about his days, but he thinks about his children and his children's children. You know, my grandfather was a good man. <laughs> my grandfather, when he died, he left, he left an inheritance to my father and my father's brother, my grandfather's two children, and then all the grandchildren, $5,000. I mean, 25 years ago, I got... I got $5,000 put in the bank. My grandfather was a good man. Amen? How many have gotten an inheritance at some point in your life? An inheritance can be lands. It can be properties. It can be money. But you know what? The greatest inheritance that we will ever leave and pass on to our children is not lands or property or money. The greatest inheritance that we can pass on is the knowledge of who Jesus is. Do you know what? There are places in the Bible where the Apostle Paul and different men and women carry the gospel around that today you cannot even find the name of Christ there. There are no churches in those places. Why? Because they didn't continue. They didn't pass it on to the next generation. They allowed things to come and completely wipe it out. May we never be guilty of not passing it to the next generation. And may that never be our testimony. When I was growing up in Nigeria, as an MK, a missionary kid, my father was a missionary and grew up in Nigeria. Nigeria was a, is a part of Africa that was experiencing great revival. There's, there's, there's basically the southern half of Nigeria is experiencing great explosive revival for decades now. And it's the northern part of Africa that has much um, stronghold of Islam and, and that kind of thing. And so we're up in the northern part in, Niger, in Niger. But where I grew up in Nigeria, great apostles, uh, Idahosa, spoken to my life, and my father worked with him. Well, growing up in Nigeria, I begin to tell people, I was about 12, 13 at the time, I begin to tell people, I'm going to be taller than my father. I'm going to be taller than my father. And a Nigerian man said to me, in Africa, a son is never taller than his father. Now, I get the whole concept of honoring your parents and your father and the idea you'll never be taller than your father. I get it. But you know what? Today I'm a father. I'm even a grandfather. And I want my children to go higher than me. Only a small man would try to hold his children down. You know, only small leaders try to hold down those that they should be raising up. 
You know, we've got to be generational in our thinking. We can't just be, hey, it's about me and what God's going to do in my life, in my ministry. No, it's about what are we doing that we're raising others up and they're going to go higher. May our Elishas have the double portion anointing. Generational thinking. Jesus was generational thinking. Amen? He said, the works that I do shall you do. And greater works shall you do. The next generation's going higher. Everybody say, my children are going higher. My children are going higher. We've got uh, my, my son. I, I love to talk about my son, Trey. At, at 20, he's now, what, 27? He's got three, three kids. I mean, everything in his life, he's basically done better or quicker or faster than me. He, he was, he went to ORU at, what did he start at ORU at 17? Okay, I was 19 when I started college. All right, there he beat me. A lot of people beat me on that one. <laughs> but, you know, I got to ORU my, by, my, uh, through my, by my sophomore year. By my sophomore year, I was put in as an RA. And that's kind of a big deal. Your second year, you're over the whole wing in the dormitory. You have seniors that have to listen to what you're telling them to do and all that. I thought that was a big deal. And one of the months, I was given RA of the month. I thought that was a big deal. Until Trey comes and he's put in as an RA his second year at ORU. And he doesn't get RA of the month. They give him RA of the year. I mean, he just like beats me and everything. Uh, he, he's, he's been working in the ministry very early on. He um, was traveling, got the privilege of travel with Larry Stock still to all different countries. And I mean, he, showed, he sent a picture on Facebook. He didn't even tell us. I just had to see it on Facebook. He's up in front of a crowd of 5,000 men preaching. I mean, I don't even think I've ever preached to 5,000 men in one shot, you know? I mean, he's just... And, and the, this other thing that Trey and I have going on is who can go to the most countries. Now, Danette, or I should say, I'm at 39. Danette's only at 38. I've got her beat. <laughs> I'm not competitive, guys. But my son, he's at 45 countries right now. You know, and I don't know if I'll ever catch him. <laughs> We're trying. Oh, Danette says we will. Amen. <laughs> But you know what? Am I here talking about my son because I'm embarrassed? My son's gone higher than me. He's done more. No. I'm here talking about, hey, my son has done more than I've done. He's gone higher than me. And that's generational thinking. That should be our passion, our joy, our focus. Let's raise up the next generation to go higher and to do more. Amen? Generational thinking. John chapter 15, verse 16, there's a quote that Jesus says, or a a verse that he says, um, You did not choose me, but I chose you, that you would bear fruit. Amen? How many know that verse? You did not choose me, I chose you, that you will bear fruit. But then the verse goes on, and that your fruit shall remain. Everybody say, my fruit will remain. You see, it's not just about what you do and the fruit that you have, but is it fruit that will remain? What is fruit that remains? Fruit that remains is fruit that is reproducing. The seed is in itself. That what you do today, it will remain after you're gone because it's going to keep on going. Fruit that remains. Jesus doesn't want us just to do stuff for the moment. He wants us to do things that are going to continue. That's why he said, go and make disciples. You know, generational thinking. The Apostle Paul was generational thinking. He said to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.2, that's how I reminded all those twos. 2 Timothy 2.2, what does he say? He says, the things, Timothy, that you've learned from me. So you got Timothy here. I'm, I, get to be, I get to be your father. Okay, so the things, Timothy, that you've learned from me, now you commit to faithful men who will teach others also. 
That's four generations in that one verse. That's generational thinking. That's about being making disciples. That's about putting it into them that it'll continue on. Generational thinking. Amen? I always wondered about that verse, fruit that remains. I get that part of the verse. But the first part, it says, you did not choose me, I chose you. As a, as a child growing up, I'm like, Jesus, I remember choosing you. I had to decide to receive you. How many chose Jesus here? You chose Jesus. There was a day that you came and said, Jesus, come into my heart. But you see, God is generationally thinking. And, and it, uh, my, my wife, Jesus, my wife, my wife helped me understand this verse. When I got to ORU, I, she was a year ahead of me. And uh, as a freshman coming in, uh, you, have, you stay in the dorms and they have brother and sister wings in the dorms. For you to be able to do activities together, like uh, social events, you have a table in the cafeteria, you eat together, or if you want to do Bible studies together, or even non-spiritual things, go out to softball game or whatever. So one of the events is you do prayer partners. So I signed up on the thing, okay, yeah, I'll have a prayer partner. And uh, the list comes back, and my, the prayer partners have been put together. And, you know, they say, oh, it's just randomly you know, draw names out of a hat, put them on the list. List comes back, and Danette's my prayer partner. So I come to the cafeteria where we all sit, and I see Danette sitting there, and I come up and I say, hey, Danette, we're going to be prayer partners. Well, you know what? (laughs) What I didn't know is that Danette is a year ahead of me. She's the chaplain on the sister wing. She's the one that makes the list. And when she made the list, she didn't just draw randomly out of a hat for all the names. She put my name with her, and then she drew the rest of the names. So when I come to the cafeteria and I say to Danette, hey, Danette, we're going to be prayer partners, what is she thinking? You didn't choose me. <laughs> I chose you. You see, God looked down the generations from, be- from before time began, and he knew the day that you would be on this earth. And he knew the day you would choose him. And when you choose him, He says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. Because before the generations, before time began, he knew us. Amen? Generational thinking. Our God is a generational thinking God. He wants us to think generationally. He wants us to realize it's not just about me and now. I want to read one more passage of scripture. It's in 2 Kings. If we can turn together to 2 Kings chapter 20. 2 Kings chapter 20. I know that you all know the, the story of Hezekiah. And we're going to just read a few verses. The first uh, few verses there. It says, In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. And the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. How many love King James? Pastor, Pastor Mike was telling me that y'all don't do King James too often, but uh, hey, in Africa, we use the real Bible. Okay. <laughs> just joking, please. <laughs> okay. In those days, was Hezekiah sick unto death. I just love the wording. Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. That was the word of the Lord. And then it says in verse 2, And then he turned his face to the wall, and he prayed to the Lord, saying, Oh, I beseech thee, O Lord. I love the King James. Remember now how I walked before you in truth and with a perfect heart, and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. 
I mean, when he hears the news that his life is up and God is the one telling him, get your house in order, you're done, you're going to die. What does he do? He cries out to God. God, remember all that I've done. He weeps bitterly, is what your Bible says. (laughs) And God hears his prayer. If we continue to read, we'll see. God hears his cry and adds to his life. We all know the story. Fifteen years. Amen? What a powerful message for preachers to preach on prayer. I mean, you can get a breakthrough. I mean, he was, life was added. I mean, he was given the word of the Lord, and yet his prayer added 15 years to his life. Now we're going to jump down in the same chapter to verse 16. The word of the Lord comes to Hezekiah again. Verse 16. And Hezekiah said, or Isaiah said unto Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. Here we have the word of the Lord again coming to Hezekiah. Behold, the days come that all that is in thine house and that which thy fathers have laid up in store unto this day. That's the previous generation is laid up for us to stand on their shoulders. Shall be carried into Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. And of thy sons that shall issue from thee, that you shall beget, shall they be taken away, and they shall be made eunuchs in the palace in the king in the palace of the king of Babylon. And then Hezekiah said unto Isaiah, Good is the word of the Lord which thou hast spoken. And he said, Is it not good if peace and truth be in my days? Everybody say, Wow. Now, Hezekiah is known to be a great king, one of Israel's good kings. But he messed up here. He messed up here. When the word of the Lord came about his life, he cried out to God. When the word of the Lord comes about what's going to happen to the next generation, that they're going to be taken away, kidnapped, put in bondage, captivity, taken to Babylon. And all that the previous generations had stored up were going to be stolen away. And the next generation is going to be cut off and made eunuchs, no longer able to perpetuate the next generation. And what does Hezekiah say? Good is the word of the Lord. Isn't it good if there's peace and truth in my days? That's not generational thinking. You see, we've got to be mindful that what we do today must continue on. It's not just about our life and it's not just about the moment. Amen? I want to leave you with five takeaways before we pray this this morning. Takeaway number one, there's no place for a Hezekiah mentality. We cannot allow our own selfishness to sabotage the destiny of the next generation. Amen. You know, Jesus said, if any man comes unto unto me, he must deny himself. You know, it's not about you. Amen. What you do is about releasing to the next generation. The second takeaway I want to leave you with is this. It's not about the moment. It's about eternity. This has got to go beyond just right now. Amen. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, if you continue in my word, then you're my disciples. You know, evangelists love, love the moment. It's about the moment, getting that person to make the decision. But see, that's not all there is. You know, I, I love the, 
you know pressure sales. Have you ever had a big high pressure salesman? They, they want you to make that, that decision. It's in the moment. It's in the moment. Bam, bam. The, the pressure's on to make that decision. You know what? I, Danette and I have made a decision. If we're ever in that kind of sales tactic, we automatically just be, even if we love the thing, we want it, it's a great deal, we're going to say no by principle and say, we're going to go think about it. Because, you know, it's not just about the moment. Amen? You said coming to Christ, it's not just about the moment of, of that realization. It's every day. It says, if any man will come after me, let him take up his cross daily. Amen? It's not about the moment. It's about eternity. The next point is right in there. Evangelism without discipleship is a waste. It's so easy to be caught up in, in the focus of evangelizing. Because what? Evangelists are out there cranking up statistics. And I won't get off on this, <laughs> but I hate numbers and statistics. I, I, I just, I, I, it, it drives me nuts. Because I know the reality behind the reports. I've heard, I think if all the evangelist numbers were, were added up, there wouldn't be enough population times 10 to account for all these numbers that are being published out there. It's not about the numbers. It's not about that. It's about making disciples. You know, you can, you can do all the evangelism day in and day out, but if you're not making a disciple, amen, fruit that remains, Commit thou to faithful men to teach others also. What is the reproducing, the perpetuation? That's generational thinking. The th- my, my fourth takeaway is this. Raise up chil- uh, raising up your children must be a priority. Amen? Raising up your children must be a priority. May the next generation go higher. May the next generation do more, be more. Make that your priority. Not about how far you get in your life, but how far are you re- able to release your children? And let them go beyond. Amen? Happy is the man who his quiver is full. And you're going to like release those arrows. Amen? Generational thinking. My last point, takeaway point is this. Your heritage does not determine your legacy. Your heritage does not determine your legacy. I grew up with a great heritage. My parents uh, taught me uh, about the Lord Jesus at an early age. I was six years old. My parents were great examples, demonstrated it before me, uh, the, the, to, what uh, it was to be uh, a Christian, a believer, to love God wholeheartedly. But not only what it was to be a Christian, they also demonstrated for me the heritage of missions, being missionaries, and put that in me. And I'm honored to be able to walk in the footsteps of my father. And who knows, maybe one of my children down the road will somehow become a missionary, you know, Trey went into pastoring in the States here, but uh, I'm still waiting for the one that's coming overseas with me. Amen? Amen? But, you know, no matter how great your heritage is, I still had to determine what kind of legacy I would leave. No matter how great it is, you still make the mark of what you're passing to the next generation. But it also means that when you say your heritage doesn't determine your legacy, even if your heritage was bad, you come from a bad family, you come from uh, abuse or abandonment or whatever terrible things are in your background, that doesn't have to determine the legacy you leave behind. You can change that. Amen. And that's the power of generational thinking. And so today we can be next generation minded and release the next generation to go higher. I want to close with this this morning, and that is to cry out for the next generation. I like the way the offering was done and uh, the example that he gave about, you know, crying out for his children. And even the story 
that pastor, pastor shared about, they were crying out, Oh, Mike, Jesus, save Michael. They were crying out for the next generation. And here he is today. Well, let's, let's cry out today. And as I said in the first service, can we pray African style? African style is at the top of your voice and you're crying out. Can we do that? Let's stand on our feet. Amen.